0: Well, good morning. This is exciting to see how God is working. To see you sending a team out uh, today, uh, and I don't know what day your team leaves to go to Mexico, but we have a team returning from working with John uh, Reeser that's arriving back today. And that's been a great partnership for us and also for you here at Mission View. Well, it's great to be with you again. I see many familiar faces. I've had the opportunity in the past to minister to and minister alongside of some of the young people that I've seen come up through our church. And it's great to see that that investment is paying off. And we see the fruit of that happening here. Uh, A few years ago, uh, probably about Three years ago, I, I had a staff member who really questioned our philosophy as a church at Maranatha of sending out other churches. Uh, he said, Why don't we just keep everybody here? Why don't we just keep the talent here so that we can use them, we can have them here? But I want you to know something. This morning, as we meet here, through the five churches that have been planted, that were sent out from Maranatha, There's about a thousand people this morning that are meeting worshiping the Lord and hearing the word of God. And of that, probably five to six hundred of those individuals are individuals that have been reached by those churches going out, as opposed to just being people from Maranatha. I think God knew what he was doing when he told us to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. So it's good to see you. For those of you who do not know me, that maybe this is the first time you've seen me, I'm Butch Persley, the pastor from Maranatha Bible Church that had the privilege of sending Mission View out, and we're just rejoicing at how God has worked and how we anticipate Him to work in the future. This morning I have been given the task in this series on generosity to preach from James chapter 5, a warning to the rich. Now let me say right off the bat, I got this same assignment back at Maranatha years ago when we preached a series on generosity. And of all the passages we have on generosity, I would have rather preached on any of them instead of this one this morning. But when I say that, I also have to qualify that. Uh, occasionally, I'll say to, to Pastor Peters, or Pastor Peters will say to me, well, Butch, that's a great passage I get to preach on this morning. And my response will be, aren't they all great? Aren't they all part of God's Word? And we've been commissioned by God to preach the whole counsel of God. To preach everything that God has to say. So this morning from James chapter 5, in the first six verses, we're going to look at this passage in our series on generosity as warnings to the rich. Follow along, either on your Bibles, your phones, your uh, pads, whatever you have with you this morning. Everybody have a copy of the scripture in front of them. Come now, you rich. Are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Pretty strong words that James uses. For those who are rich. First of all, we need to understand what is the meaning of this word rich that is used. And what's the general message that the Bible has for the rich? Well, the word rich itself comes from a word that means to be filled with material possessions. Throughout the Bible, this term rich is used most in the wisdom books, like the book of Proverbs. And the primary message is this, the rich must not trust in their riches, but they need to trust in the Lord. In the New Testament, this word for rich is used 28 times, almost always in the negative. Riches throughout the New Testament are seen as an obstacle to God's kingdom. Once again, the general message from the Old Testament parallels the message, the New Testament parallels the message from the Old Testament, that we are not to put our hope in riches, but we are to put our hope in God. Well, as we come to this passage, some of you are tuning out, as soon as you hear the title, a message for the rich, a warning to the rich. Because you say, I'm not rich, doesn't apply to me. So we have to figure out who this passage applies to among those of us who are here uh, this morning. Uh, Recently, there was a survey done among Americans. Uh, These Americans uh, said, let's see, how many, 54% were in favor of raising taxes on the wealthy in order to expand programs for the poor. There was only one problem with this, everybody surveyed considered those who made more money than them to be the rich. So those being surveyed did not consider themselves to be rich. Among Americans only one to two percent of all Americans consider themselves to be wealthy of those who have more than $5 million in assets, only 40% of those people consider themselves to be rich. So the survey asked the question, what does it take for you to consider yourself to be rich? And the answer that was given was this. If I can buy anything that I want to buy, if I can go anywhere that I want to go, And if I can do anything that I want to do, and money is not going to restrict me, then I would consider myself to be rich. Well, by those standards, there's not many people that this passage applies to. But may I suggest to you, we're looking at riches in the wrong way. In the United States today, the poverty level for an individual is $12,140. For a family of four, it's $25,100. Now at $12,140, at the poverty level in the United States, you are in the top 14% of people in the world. If at this level, you make more than 16 times than a worker in Indonesia makes. You make 11 times more than a worker in Zimbabwe. You make 74 times more than a worker in Malawi. That's at the poverty level in the United States. 10% of the world's population today survive on less than $2 a day. If you have a household income of over $32,000, you are in the top 1% of the people in the world when it comes to wealth. If you live in the United States, and you have a household income of a little over 11,000, and your household has one adult in it, you are in the richest 14% of the world's population. Your income is more than eight times the global average. If you would donate 10% of your income, and I think for those of us that are followers of the Lord, as we look through this, Uh, series on generosity, and we're going to be looking at principles of giving coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks, that all of us as followers of Christ should be striving to give for the support of God's work. And these particular figures don't even come from a Christian organization. They come from a non-Christian organization that are just encouraging people to help those around the world. And they said if you were to give 10% of your income, you would still be in the richest 15% of the people in the world, and you would still have more than seven times the global average income. Now, if you live in the United States with a household income of over $23,000 and you there are four of you in your household, you're in the richest 17% in the world and you have six times what the average global worker has. If you were to donate 10% of your income, you would still be in the richest 19% of the world's population and you would still have more than five times the global average income. Now, there's different ways to look at riches. This morning, we've looked at it as it relates to income here within the United States, but I want us to take a historical, a global look as well. So, I want everybody to stand up for a moment. If you're able to stand, I want you to stand up. We are going to figure out who is rich here from a historical and a global perspective. Can, can we agree that if you're in the top 1% of the world's population, we should consider that being rich? Do you agree with that? Okay. So sorry. If you drink clean water, that means you didn't get your water out of a mud puddle, or a contaminated source, remain standing. If you drank because you had to from the mud pump, not because you wanted to, or or based on a dare from someone. Remain standing if you had sufficient food yesterday. Now, teenagers, before you sit down, that doesn't mean that you ate two pizzas and four Big Macs before you went to bed, but you said you went to bed hungry last night. Uh, so, but if you had sufficient food, remain standing. If you have more than one outfit to wear, so that what you wore today is not the outfit that you've worn all week, and you washed it last night so it would be clean to be around people. So if you own more than one outfit, remain standing standing. If you slept with a roof over your head last night, I don't mean you went out camping last night and looked at the stars, but if you typically sleep with any kind of roof over your head, remain standing. If you have access to medicine, I didn't say if you have health care, I said if you have access to medicine. That means that if you had an emergency, you would be able to get medicine. Remain standing. If you have any mode of transportation, that could be a car, a motorcycle, a bicycle, a horse or a donkey, or public transportation is available to you so that you could take a bus, or you could take an Uber, or you could take a taxi, remain standing. If you are able to read, remain standing. Now, from a historical and global perspective, you have now qualified to be, if you're still standing, in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. So congratulate those around you, that you are in such the presence of all these rich people. And then you can be seated. See, we have a, a warning to the rich. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 8 said this, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing. See, the reality is when we ask the question, who is rich? For us as Americans, the answer is we are. And if you've traveled much around the world and you see poverty that exists in this world, you would find that most of the people in our country who live at the poverty level would be considered rich in these other cultures. We are the rich. And unfortunately for many of us, Riches become something that eats us up. They become something that we desire and we chase after. Paul warned in 1 Timothy verse chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says, But those who desire to be rich, now not what he says. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, hear that again, it's not money, it's the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The reality is, whatever we put first in our life becomes our God. Whatever becomes most important to us is an idol that we are chasing after. And unfortunately, many in our world and many in our churches and many who call themselves Christians are still focused. On desiring to become rich. And that poses a great temptation for us all. See, the reality is, this world's riches can get in the way of us making our way to heaven. It's an obstacle for many people. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, in verses 23 to 26. It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There's much debate over what that means, the eye of the needle, but consistently if you look at its actual meaning, it means a camel going through a sewing needle. Now you say, that's... Impossible. But Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter a kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? See, their astonishment was because what? We know it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Who is rich? We are. Now let's look at our text this morning. Verse 1 Come now, you rich. Okay, we've gathered here as a group of rich people. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you notice the warning there James is warning people who have made riches their God that it's not going to bring them joy It's not going to bring them satisfaction instead it is going to bring crying and hurt into their lives see because the reality is riches and possessions are temporary. They're temporary. Everything in this world is ultimately going to be burned up. But notice how James puts it in verse 2. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. James is talking about the three ways in that day that they measured riches. And how people in the days of James considered themselves to be rich. The first is through grain. Having barns full of grain. But what does James say has happened to all the grain that they have? It's rotted. If you do not use it, over time it is going to rot. And when people store up all these possessions for themselves and not put them in circulation to see that God's work is done, ultimately those riches are going to rot. Next, he says, not only have your riches rotted, but your garments are moth-eaten. The clothes that they wore were another sign of riches. This was particularly true for the wives of men. In those days, it was not uncommon for a man to buy his wife a a dress that she would wear that would cost him up to one year's income. Now let that sink in for just a moment, men. The next time your wife goes to the store and comes back with a new outfit and, she's, and you say, well, how much did that cost? And she says, well, it was less than one year's income for you. <laughs> you should be happy. See, what they say, how did they get garments that would be that expensive? Well, they would weave gold into their, their garments. And they would buy the most costly claws that they could, could find. And this was a status thing. You know, it's sort of like... They are more co- they were more covered than what we see, but when the Oscars or the Emmys are going on and they have the runway and everybody's waiting, you know, what are they going to wear tonight? What is that dress going to look like that they're coming out in? And you know they didn't go to Walmart or Kmart to pick up the outfit that they're wearing for that evening. It is still the clothes that people wear in some settings are a mark of wealth. But notice James says, your garments are moth-eaten. Eventually, that dress, that outfit, that suit, is no longer going to be something that would be presentable to wear. Thirdly, he says, your gold and silver have corroded. Gold and silver was another sign of their riches, but that corrodes as well. Riches and possessions are temporary. The next thing that we need to note is that wealth can be a dangerous trap that leads people to eternal destruction. The warnings are all throughout the Scripture concerning this. Make riches your God, and they become a trap for you. And they take your perspective away from that which should be your priorities. Next, we should be careful not to use wealth in an ungodly manner. See, one of the things about wealth and one of the things that will encourage us in our generosity is for us to recognize that we don't own anything. It is all God's. You know, for, for years, people taught in the church, you give 10% to God and the other 90% is yours to use however you want to. That's not the message of the Scripture. The message of the Scripture is everything we have is God's, 100% of it. We brought nothing with us into this world, and we will take nothing with us when we leave this world. We are not owners. We are managers of wealth. And God is the one who owns everything. He's just loaned it to us for us to manage for Him. So we need to be careful that we don't use our wealth in an ungodly manner. Our responsibility is to be faithful to God in the realm of financial stewardship. This is what James is warning them about. Be faithful to God. And then the key note that we've been stressing all throughout this series is we should be generous because God has been generous to us. Think about that for a moment, friend. All you own, all that you have, is because of God's hand. I have to tell you, there are times when I travel overseas and as I'm ministering to people and I'm ministering to them and, and they are, are people who are very, very poor, that I go back to my room at night and I feel convicted before the Lord. And I pray to God, and I say, God, why did I get the privilege of being born in America? Why did you choose to place me here? It's not because of anything that I have done. Why have you blessed me with all that you've blessed me with? Help me, Lord, to be a good steward of all that belongs. To you. Andy, Randy Alcorn has written, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives us more money than we need so that we can give generously. So let me ask you a question this morning. How much of your riches do you give to God's work? How much of God's riches are you investing in His causes? When's the last time you raised the amount that you give to God? When's the last time you decided that you would give more? You know, years ago, I was challenged by the testimony of a man in our our church. He shared how that he became a Christian later in life, and he committed himself to give to God's work and he wanted to know how he could give more to God's work and he shared that he made God a promise that whenever he got a raise that he would give fifty percent of that take home pay that increased take home pay to the Lord's work and he said over the years I've been able to give more and more to God's work. Because I asked the question, he said, I was living fine with what I was making. And so when God gave me more, I wanted to honor him, not by merely giving him 10% more of that which he had blessed me with, but to give him half of that. You know, from that day forward, I started practicing that in my own life that whatever I was given extra, I would use half of that for God's work. Also, I have always made it a principle that when I have opportunities to share elsewhere, where people will give me something for coming to speak or for some service that I do as a pastor, I give 100% of that back to the Lord. 100% 100% of it I return most of the time I return it back to the ministry of the people who have given it to me why because God is meeting my needs and this is a way I can be a blessing to others because I recognize based on the based on the evaluation of history based based on a global evaluation I am rich and blessed with this world's goods that god has given to me well as we work through the passage after warning the rich he continues to warn them but there's some general principles here that's for everyone because the next question we need to ask is who is to work who is to work we don't hear many messages On the work ethic that the scriptures put before us but who is to work because he's going to talk to those who are rich about how they treat their workers do you remember the story of Adam and Eve and God putting them in the garden they had responsibilities there to take care of the garden they had work to do, You know, I don't know what your picture of heaven is. Some of you have this picture that we're going to, to go to, to heaven and we're going to have harps that we're going to play and we're going to float around on clouds for eternity. Boy, that sounds exciting to me. I don't like harp music anyway. <laughs> I, I remember the, the story of a couple of boys whose dad was a worship leader. And they were in the service and they were talking about heaven. And their dad was saying, isn't this going to be great when we get to heaven and we have all eternity to just sing and praise the Lord. And the boys looked at one another and one of them said to the other, that sounds like hell to me to be able to listen to my dad lead singing for all eternity. The reality is we've got the wrong image of heaven as well. When we get to heaven, God has assignments for us to do. Sure, we're going to sing and we're going to praise Him, but we're also going to be working because God made us to work. And let me let me let you in on a little secret now. Your faithfulness here and now will determine what you will be doing throughout eternity. Not how much you have here, not what you're doing here now, But your faithfulness to what God has called you to do will determine your role throughout eternity in the kingdom and in heaven. So I encourage you to think about that in being faithful to the Lord here. So we are to work. Now that's a message that needs to ring out to the millennials. If you're a millennial and you happen to be here in the service this morning, I looked up some stats this week. Over 22% of millennials, and those are individuals between the age of 24 and 36, are still living at home. 12 million of them are still living with mom and dad. Oh, they have a passion to change the world. While they live in mom and dad's basement, eat mom and dad's food, drive mom and dad's cars under mom and dad's insurance, and have mom and dad spend their money on the video games that they want to play all night. Young people, God has called you to work. He's called you to be of service to others. Right now, among the millennials, 13% of them are unemployed. That means they don't even have part-time jobs. 13%. And we have a national unemployment rate of what? Around 4%. So three times the national average among this age group. Parents, if you have young children... You're not going to kill them if you give them jobs and responsibilities to do. Are they going to like it? Probably not. But it is so much of you to ask for them to clean their room and maybe to cut the grass around the house or something else like that. Parents, we have a responsibility to train our children to work so that they will develop a work ethic. See, because ultimately, they're going to be the head of households. Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 said this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. We need to teach our children to work. So who's to work? We are. I am you are we are all to be working now typically when we're working we're working for someone else at least when we start out maybe you own your own company here and if you do there are some things that James writes about that are the responsibilities of those who own companies for those who are employers Now notice what he says. The first thing is this. Workers are to be paid on time. Look at verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back. You weren't paying them. You weren't paying them on time. Many times in this era that James is writing, the workers would be paid on a daily basis. And when they receive their funds often that is what they use to provide food for their families. So if they did not get paid when they finished their day's work, they would not be able to buy food to put on the table for their family. Workers are to be paid on time. Next, workers are to be treated fairly. Look at what he says. You have kept it back by fraud. You are cheating them. You are cheating them. If you agreed to pay them so much, then you need to pay them what you agreed to pay them. If you made certain promises to them, you need to keep your promises to them. You are not to defraud those who work for you uh, I can remember several years ago at a previous church not at Maranatha but a previous church we had uh, a man come and visit me in the office and he said pastor could you help me out I said well I'll love to help you out if I can what can I do for you? he says you have a member of your church that I put a fence up around his workplace for him two years ago. I have been crying for two years to collect the money he owes me. And he will not pay me. He says, when I go to his place of work, I can see him inside his building, and I'll knock and knock and knock at the door, but he looks out and sees it's me, and he will not answer the door. Is there anything you can do to help me to get the money from this individual? Well, this particular individual was one of the the teachers in our church. He's in a teaching role with, with children. And so another pastor and myself called him in, and he verified to us that, yeah, that's correct. I've not paid him. And so... What question would you ask? Why? Well, it's really not been a priority for me. The fence is already up. And, you know, I have other things that I want to do, and so I just haven't paid him. I ask the question, over the last two years, have you had sufficient funds to pay the individual? He says, yeah, but I chose not to. I wanted to take my family on a vacation. I wanted to do this, and he listed a number of things. And I said, how can you justify that? He basically didn't say it quite like this, but his words amounted to this. Pastor, it's none of your business what I do with my funds. Well, at that point we said to the man uh, I said to the man well well first of all until you pay this individual and you make things right with him you're through teaching Sunday school in this church You can't do that to me You can't keep me from using my gift to serve the Lord I said watch me <laughs> I said Your assignment is over because you are sending out a very poor testimony for our Lord. Here is a man that's looking at you who knows you're a member of our church. He knows you're serving in our church. And all he wants you to do is keep your word to him and pay him that which you owe him. But you refuse to do so. Well, he then began to inform us, well, he's not the only one I haven't paid. (laughs) You see the problem here? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. If you sign a contract with someone, you have an obligation to keep the contract that you have signed. He hired someone to do the work. They've done the work, and he is defending frauding them. The Lord is not going to bless those kinds of business practices. Behold the wages, verse 4, of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I want you to know that workers have the ear of the Lord. Workers have the ear of the Lord. The Lord hears them crying out when they have been mistreated. The next principle we see here in verse 5 is the principle that workers are to be treated generously. So he says, You have lived, verse 5, You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you you are to treat your workers generously do unto others as you would have them do unto you treat others the way that God has treated you and how has God treated us he's been generous to us God is not a stingy God If you are stingy with your possessions, you didn't get that from God. God is a generous God who gives and gives and gives. And he is a faithful God who gives. So what do we see here? We are to work, and as we work, there's a responsibility on those that we work for to pay us fairly, for the work that we have done for them. Well, let me ask a question of us this morning. How long are we to work? Because there's an idol that has been erecting itself in America called retirement. Now, don't get me wrong. It's okay to retire from a place of employment, but it's not okay to retire on God as long as you are here God has something for you to do as long as you are here God has a ministry for you to serve him in some cases the only ministry a person may be able to do may be a ministry of prayer but what's more important than that David Platt you know he kinda rattles everybody's cages with his books Uh, the author of the book radical he said this, or he wrote this. All of this, all of this means that as long as we are able, the gospel compels us to be countercultural in the way we work. We live in a culture that doesn't view work as God's good gift, whether as young adults or older adults in retirement. So many young people are prolonging adolescence into adulthood. Scores of males in their 20s and 30s, for example, are refusing to become men, settling for playing video games instead of getting an education or a job, working part-time while leaning on their parents to pay their bills. Worst of all, some couch their laziness in spiritual language, saying they're waiting to figure out what God wants them to do, all the while ignoring the glaring biblical reality that God wants them to work for others' good and His glory. This trend should not surprise us in a culture that minimizes the value of work by magnifying the goal of retirement. Success according to the standards of our society is arriving at the place where you no longer work. I just returned from speaking at a conference in South Florida where I found myself surrounded by men and women who are spending their final years on earth resting amid the pleasures of this culture. But Christ never called us to this sort of retirement. In no way does Scripture ever speak about God calling healthy people to stop working. Nowhere do we see that God's design for productive minds and bodies is to perpetually lie on a beach, ride on a golf course, or sit in a fishing boat. The entire concept of saving money so that we can live a life of ease and self-indulgence has no biblical foundation whatsoever. a warning to the rich a warning we are to work and we are to do what God wants us to do and we are to work and with what God entrusts us with we are to be generous sharing that with others earlier this year I had the privilege of going to Thailand along with uh, one of our associate pastors Bruce Rosa where we were training Leaders from the underground church from China about 70 workers pastors key leaders in the underground church movement came over into Thailand where we had training for a week now before I left to go to Thailand and I mean right before I left, two days before I left, I had a man call me on the phone. And this man is someone that God has blessed, and he's been successful in business. And he said to me, he says, Butch, I want to ask you a favor. I said, okay, what is that? He says, God has laid on my heart that I need to give you some money to take over to these underground church planters. So will you carry for me $5,000 into the country and have it distributed to those workers who need it the most? I said, yes, that's something I can do for you. He says, well, I'll be at your office tomorrow at 4 o'clock. And he says, I will bring you the cash. Well, I had to tell him exactly what denominations to get the cash in, because as you go into other cultures, there's certain bills that they will not accept and things. So he did that. When he showed up into my office, he came with his son. And he said this to me. He says, Butch, he says, After I talked to you, I was praying, and God laid on my heart, five thousand is not enough. It needs to be $7,000. He said, so I told my wife, get an extra $2,000 so that we can send with Pastor Butch. His son overheard the conversation, and his son said, no, Dad, I want to give the extra $2,000. So here we have a dad teaching his son how to be generous. The son gave me the $2,000, so I carry $7,000 into the, the country. Believe me, I was happy to give it to Barnabas, the head of the church planters, as soon as I could. So that evening, when I arrived, I gave him the money. The next day, at lunchtime, Barnabas, who works with all the underground church planters, said, Butch, I have to ask you a question. I said, "Okay." Because I had told him the story of the 5000 that was now $7,000 that I had brought in. He says, this morning, I received a phone call from one of the church planters that was supposed to be in the meetings this week. But he was unable to come to the meetings because his wife was very sick and in the hospital. And he called me asking us if we would pray and if there's any way we could help him. Because in China, they don't release you from the hospital until you pay your bill. Now let that sink in for a moment. If you're a hospital administrator, this may be a good plan for you. Not good for your patients, but for the hospital administrator. You don't go home until you pay your bills. And of course, every day you stay, the bill keeps getting higher and higher and higher. Barnabas said, how much is the bill? 2000 American dollars. Our God knew a need that was going to be present in China. And laid on the heart of an individual in America. These two individuals will never meet one another. They will never know one another. But they are brothers together. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has prospered this man. And now is prospering his son. And laid it on the heart of his son to give the exact amount so that this servant of the Lord in China could pay his bill at the hospital for his wife. My friends, that's the greatness about being generous. That's the greatness for us as Christians. When we give, we don't know how God's going to use it all and how he's going to bring everything together. But someday, we'll stand before our Lord and then we'll get the whole picture of little things we have done, of big things we have done. And when we have done them for the Lord, He will show how that spirit of generosity blessed others and caused others to trust in our Lord. Let's be generous with whatever amount God has entrusted us with and use it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. And I pray, Lord, just now that you will cause each of us just to let your spirit search our hearts, that we might know you and that we might obey you. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.